Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Counter Charge. I'm Carl Booth. And I'm Ralph Enough. And as you heard, we have a new voice on the podcast, Mr. Carl Booth. Now, Carl, I think you're from the UK originally, but you're, you're in Australia and you're in Perth, if I recall. Yep, that's correct. Perth is on the very western edge of Australia, is that right? Yeah, so Western Australia is kind of enormous uh, relative to the, the continent. And yeah, Perth is right on the western coast and many thousands of kilometers away from pretty much anywhere. Um, it's about three and a half to Melbourne or you know, four and a half to Brisbane, roughly. So um, yeah, it's, it's pretty pretty isolated. Yeah, the only thing I know about Perth is I think you guys had a podcast back in the day via Warhammer. It was called World's End Radio, I think. Uh, and that was out that way, I think. Yeah, that was done by, um, oh, geez, I can't actually remember his name anymore. But um, it was the guy that ran the sort of local forums over here. Well, Carl, why don't you kind of introduce yourself to the Countercharge audience and you know, just kind of give us a background on who you are. Okay. So um, as we already know, I'm Carl. Um, I started Wargaming uh, back when I was eight, um, so well, 20, 20 some years ago now. And um, pretty much like everyone, I started with Games Workshop and picked up 40K because I'd literally just watched the Alien films for the first time and um, thought they were fantastic. And so opening up a White Dwarf and seeing Tyranids, that was me straight into the hobby. Um, so I stuck with G-Dub for quite some time. Um, got yeah, pretty into tournaments and stuff like that. And um, eventually started branching out into other things. So um, I was a list of games I've played. Then I played you know, Warhammer Fantasy, 40K, Necromunda, Mordheim, Battlefleet Gothic, Epic, uh, Strategy Battle Game, and War of the Ring. Then picked up Uncharted Seas and Dystopian Wars by Spartan Games as something you know, quite different and quite fun. Uh, dabbled in X-Wing and Armada as well. Yeah, spaceships. Spaceships are cool. And uh, X-Wing in particular had quite a big following, and still does here in Perth. So I was like, mm, yeah, let's check out what this is all about. But um, it wasn't really for me in the end. Uh, so recently I've had a little dabble in Oathmark as well. That's a new Ranks and Flanks fantasy game that um, uh, came out by the same guy that did Frostgrave. So there was quite a lot of hype over that. So I decided to check that out. Um, but it's... That didn't seem like a very tight rule set. Um, it sort of needs needs a few house rules and a bit of discussion with people. So, and there's no community here. So, yeah, we'll see how that goes. And then, sort of main games that I play at the moment are you know, Kings of War, Infinity, and A Song of Ice and Fire. Well, let's touch on Orthmark for a minute because you know when I <clears throat> looked at the rules, um, I thought it was very interesting from like a narrative perspective, any of them can have a cherry, any of them can. And so there's, there's a lot of customization, but I think that that probably comes to the detriment of balance. Yeah. It's, I didn't really get very far into working out if, because I mean, essentially there's only one army, right? So you, you choose your territory and then a sign, 
your regions to it and you can take whatever you want. Um, so essentially, I suppose it's balanced in that anyone can have anything. Um, I don't know what the balance between all those units is like. It was more um, yeah, playing the game and looking for loopholes than there were quite a few. Um, the um, Probably one of the worst ones I found was, so you determine whether a unit is in the flank or front for declaring charges at the point it contacts the unit that it's charging. So if you're even slightly off center from your target unit, you can sort of wheel towards its outer corner and then impact at a point that'll put you in the flank. So you can kind of charge people's flanks while standing in front of them. It was all just a bit bizarre. Yeah, you can kind of abuse that, it sounds like. Oh, monstrously. Yeah, yeah. So, I, you know, it'll be interesting to your point, you know, we don't really have a, a community here yet either. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, it's it's not, you know, there are other, you know, mass ranks and flanks games. I mean, we have that Conquest from Power of Alum. Feels like Kings of War with a bunch of extra unnecessary things. <laughs> interesting times. I did give that one a read as well and uh, watched a few battle reports. I never put it on the table myself, but um, it seemed really sad how uh, all of your big, exciting units, like your monsters and ogres and all that kind of stuff, come on much later in the game and get to maybe spend a turn or two wandering around the table trying to get into combat and then the game ends and you're like oh the models are really really pretty uh they're 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 awesome looking models uh you have to get over the fact that you significant scale creep i mean i think like the dwarves are like 36 millimeters tall or something so oh really yeah they're 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 like essentially a human is the size of an ogre uh in like I'm air quoting air you know a kings of war type scale, so there the monsters and stuff would probably uh, work across systems with no problem because a giant's a giant right yeah yeah if you can squash it onto a seventy five mil way well, yeah, you would have thought uh, if you're trying to make a new rule set with a new set of miniatures your best pet is to make the miniatures fit in other game systems that already exist so that you might get other people, you know, if somebody doesn't like your game, well, I can at least buy the models for something else. It's, it's certainly existing armies. I guess if you take them all together by themselves, I mean, it is what they're a scale onto themselves. So yeah. Yeah. It's a bit like that with the ice and fire stuff as well. Like they're, they're not huge compared to other models, but they're noticeably different. And I guess it makes you, if you're going to play that game, it kind of makes you use those models. Um, so there's, I suppose there's that side of things, but it does make it harder for outside people to get in. I think we're in a position where uh, people in the industry that are designing games, they're finding reasons to make like proprietary miniatures, like either from a scale perspective or shoehorning in miniatures in the games that don't really need miniatures. Because I think at the end of the day, you know, with the Kickstarters and stuff, miniatures do sell games, right? Uh, and I think, uh, I mean, the classic example is God Tear. Tear, I guess is what it's called, the new one from uh, Steamforge Games. That game does not need to be a miniature game. I mean, it's literally a board game and they just tacked on miniatures. I guess they did it so that they could then sell you you know, expansion boxes that have, you know, four or five miniatures, but that could have easily been a, you know, a card pack. We do love our miniatures, don't we? And I suppose 3D versus 2D thing is a bit of what we're going to touch on in this episode. Absolutely. I mean, I mean I'm a visual person and I like, I like, um, especially in the real world, I like to be able to touch and look and enjoy models and stuff. And that's a great segue. Tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to explore Tabletop Simulator. You're the old hat here, but I am a newbie. I, you know, I, I've barely even seen UB Games. 
uh, Universal Battles. Uh, and all I've done with Tabletop Simulator is literally install it and download some some uh, some expansion packs, I guess. Let's start with this. Why do you think this is an ex- a good remote gaming? I don't, I, don't, I don't know if we have a term for it, but basically uh, playing someone a tabletop experience on on the desktop across the across the internet you know what's important about that and what what does that provide to the, you know our community so i guess the i mean the whole reason that i got into this was the the covid situation um, had it not been for that i would probably have quite happily just kept playing down the local clubs as as always um, i've never really gotten into universal battle myself either um, I did dabble with it in uni, um, but it's, it sort of took a while, and gaming in real life is, is good enough. Like Being able to play people all over the world and test stuff out is awesome, but it's, it's competing for that real-life hobby slot, I suppose. Um, as for you know, why, is, why is online gaming good, then I guess it is it's diversity of opponents, it's you know, seeing other play styles. You know, we, we, talk about the meta in all sorts of different podcasts and um, getting different perspectives on different regions is really interesting. It's, it's one of my favorite things about listening to lots of different podcasts is hearing how people are playing in the UK, how they're doing it in the US, um, how they're doing it in the Eastern States in Australia. Yeah, that's basically another planet for us here in Perth. <laughs> and um, yes, I guess that's, that is the the benefit of being able to play online. And you mentioned you kind of got into this uh, via the COVID, which makes perfect sense, right? I mean, we no one prepares for the Spanish Inquisition, right? We didn't we didn't see this coming. And obviously, I would assume if you're in Perth, your community is probably smaller to begin with. Uh, and then, you're, and I would assume you're also fairly spread out from one another, or, or is that, or or do I have that wrong? And you guys are more urban. So Western Australia is kind of bizarre. Um, but some of my numbers are going to be a little bit out of date here from when I last looked at what the actual populations were. But um, Western Australia itself is about 2,500 kilometres uh, north to south and about 1,600 kilometres east to west. And we've got a population of roughly 2.2 million, of which 1.8 million is in Perth. So <laughs> it's it's almost like... All of the people in this enormous space are crammed into Perth, Perth City and surrounds. And then outside of Perth is just a lot of very, very small communities that are really quite spread out. So the, the gaming scene here is surprisingly diverse given that number of people we've got available. Um, but the actual numbers we get for any given game are kind of small. So if if I was running a Kings of War tournament, then between sort of eight to 16 players would be fairly normal. Um, And that's the same for, I think, most of the systems outside of Games Workshop. Um, As soon as you get into 40K or Sigma, then you can start having 50 to 100 player tournaments. and I think that's probably because we've got three or four games workshops in the city. So they form a real sort of community hub for different gaming groups that are totally dependent on playing games workshop games. Absolutely. And so going back to, you know, uh, these universal battle or tabletop simulator, 
it does, I assume, having not done it myself, but I assume, to your point, it does let you play people that you would never play, ever. You know, you get to play the Patrick Allens, we get to play the Jeffrey Traces, uh, the Tom Robinsons. You get to play people that you just won't cross paths with because of, you know, the physical distance that we find ourselves in. So, uh, to your point, I think, from that standpoint, I think it's a good thing, right? That you get to play different people, different play styles, uh, different lists. Because, I mean, you know, we talk about all this all the time, but, you know, even in within the U.S., there are pockets of the U.S. that, that take more heavy shooting lists uh, versus maybe uh, they call it the trash meta, but, like, you know, lots of bodies and lots of just drag you down by numbers. Well, it, you know, if, if, if you only play within your own little uh, area... Uh, you're only going to see what those people come up with. And so by by going online and playing these different games uh, with people from around the world, you're obviously going to open up and, and see all kinds of things, which you can then bring back to your local scene and say, hey, look what I, you know, look what I, you know, this, this list that I played and and I'm, I'm, I'm emulating it, I've tweaked it. And, and so it kind of, from that standpoint, it's, it's a really good way to share ideas and, and cross-pollinate, uh, you know, great list ideas play styles yeah absolutely i had a game against a guy from poland a couple of weeks ago and um, he was running order of the green lady and was running a load of uh, men at arms retainers i was sort of looking at those going oh i i hate them i don't don't rate them at all and then they were actually really useful in game i was like oh well okay there you go shows what i know it's it's funny because uh one of my pet peeves is like when You'll get a new player and they'll say, I want to play X army, whatever it is. It could be undead. And then you'll get the people that'll chime in on the various Facebook groups or forums and say, oh, you got to skip this unit. It's garbage. It's not going to work. It's like, you know, any tool can be used to effectiveness in the right hands. Right. And so it's to your point, you know, I, I think I certainly probably have personal biases against. Well, I mean, I play a lot of ogres and, and I don't see the use of regular warriors. Well, I'm starting to come around to understand that, well, if you take ogres with two-handed weapons, you can get some of the same bang for your buck in terms of the siege breaker, but the cost less. Obviously, the, the, the sacrifice is that the defense value is lower. So, you know, it's, it, it's funny because I think in our minds we get, we get pigeonholed into this is what works and we have a hard time letting go. And sometimes the best way to let go of one of those ideas is to get thrashed. <laughs> I'll give you a classic example. I, I thought... Pfft, elves you know green lady elves i was like eh, whatever i went to a tournament early in january and i just got eviscerated <laughs> by this elf army i was like oh that's how you play them okay yeah yeah and that kind of stuff is is absolutely fantastic you know i, I really really love losing a game to something totally unexpected you know when it's not related to just horrendous dice one way or the other well let's talk about dice because you know everybody loves to talk about ub dice so and we're going to talk about tabletop simulator but so, what are your thoughts on dice in these applications that we're playing this game remotely? I don't really have any strong opinions on them. Um, they don't seem to be significantly more or less wonky than any real-life dice I've ever encountered. So, um, yeah, yeah, I've got, got no problems. So I don't really play that much UB, so I haven't encountered the UB dice. I do have some memories... And this was, you know, I, I played UB semi-regularly probably oh, almost 12 years ago now or something. So it's, yeah, this was back in UB1 before UB2 came out. 
Um, I do remember it used to generate a lot of ones and sixes. And so you'd, yeah, you'd roll 30 dice and you'd get an average number of hits, but you know, half of those hits would be sixes or something. Um, but yeah, from what I've seen recently, I don't, I don't really think there's much of an issue there. It's funny because you, you, we have these discussions on the various Facebook pages and forums and stuff. And, and ultimately, I don't know if one is more accurate or more random than the other. I think at the end of the day, what riles people up is that when you're rolling dice in real life, you are you, you've bought, you bought the dice, you pick up the dice, you throw the dice, and really, it's all in your control. You have complete player agency. And I think maybe this... When you're playing, you be your tabletop simulator and you're like hitting a button or in the case of tabletop simulator, you know, uh, virtually picking up the dice and throwing them. I guess people just feel like it's behind the scenes and they're just they're out to screw you. I don't, I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I think they're both random and uh, it may feel strange when you get all ones, but it could happen in the real world, too. So I don't know. It certainly can. Yeah, we're all fantasy gamers, so yeah, we can't trust the machines. But um, no, some of the some of the real life dice rolls that um, I've run into have been, I'd say, just as horrendous as anything that have come out of UV. Let's touch a little bit on your history with with this. So you did used to, you used to play UB, right? Obviously, you were saying when you're back in university, you were playing Universal Battle One. Kind of give me a little bit of a snapshot of you know what were you playing? Uh, were you playing Kings of War? Were you playing other games? So no, back then, um, I'd say it was yeah, ten or eleven years, something like that. Um, so I was playing, I think it would have been 7th edition Warhammer Fantasy. Yeah, it must have been 6th or 7th. Um, and I think internet gaming was, certainly for UB, it was kind of early days. And I remember most of the games I played were played over you know, typing out text chat, um, which was pretty painful and um, yeah, games used to take about four hours or something like that doing that. Um, so that's pretty much why I stopped post-university because suddenly you know, recreation time became a bit too precious to um, do something like that. And so, you know, obviously you have some experience with UB. What were some of the things that you wished, you know, maybe things that you wish UB had that, We'll talk about tabletop simulator, but obviously, it's tabletop simulator is very different than UB. And so, you know, what are some of the things that you feel that UB was missing or still is missing that tabletop simulator has been filling in? So, I guess we need to to point out straight away that UB is really good for facilitating you to to play the game. Yeah, you kind of got everything you need in there. It's just not, yeah, it's it's just not like real life. Um, so. Tabletop Simulator, it's literally just a 3D environment. And, yeah, that, that looks really nice. You've got 3D models. You've got 3D scenery. Um, a lot of the models look far better than my real-life models because I'm you know, a mediocre painter and an impatient painter. So <laughs> that doesn't really help. Um, and the other thing that I think is good in Tabletop Simulator is you can see your opponent's mouse. So it shows up as a little hand where they're going to interact with things. And so when you're talking to a person that you can't actually see, then being able to see what their mouse is doing or, or move your own mouse over something and just go, yeah, this thing here wants to do this, 
which we we do in real life without really thinking about it. You know, we, we gesture at things and point and wave. And yeah, you can't do that in Universal Battle and you have to drag little markers around. But I mean, it's it's a pretty trivial functionality difference. So yeah, Tabletop Simulator is all about the cosmetic difference. Right. So I mean, aesthetically, it's more like the real game. Yeah. Yeah. And I say, I, I um, yeah, played UB in the past and I struggled to get into it because just... The visual, visual, I mean, I'm very much a competitive tournament gamer, but I still really like the visuals and just basically just couldn't quite muster the enthusiasm to keep going with UB. And then with COVID occurring, I actually picked up Tabletop Simulator to play Infinity because there's a very well-established Infinity community on Tabletop Simulator. And I played a few games of that and just went, yeah, this is really good. What else is out there? And then just started hunting through all the various mods to see you know, what games are already on there, what models were available, and um, sort of realized fairly quickly that it wouldn't take a huge amount of work to get Kings of War up and running because there's already a ton of material for Age of Sigmar and 40K and, and all sorts of other games that provide the, the pieces that can be pulled together to make Kings work. Talking about Tabletop Simulator, you know, how do you know you know, how long it's been around? I mean, obviously Universal Battle has been around for, you know, over 10 years, but how, how long has Tabletop Simulator been around? Um, I'm really not sure. Um, I think it it certainly came out, um, you know, post-2010. Um, and I've seen some updates for it in 2016. Um, but no, I don't really know what it was like when it first came out or when that was. But there's... There's a lot of content on there, so it's been around for a good few years. A pretty avid board gamer, and I listen to a lot of board game podcasts, and I know that's a, a big use for Tabletop Simulator. I mean, they even have paid, I don't know what you call it, but real games like Wingspan, for example, that are built for Tabletop Simulator, and you can pay you know, paid content. Yeah, yeah, it's all, they've got a, not a huge DLC section, so downloadable content section, but yeah, you literally pay... A, some quantity of money and download a complete, fully functional, professionally done game um, for whatever. So yeah, there's like Lord of the Rings Risk on there. There's Chaos in the Old World and stuff like that. So when you found Tabletop Simulator and you're digging around and you're looking for, I guess at some point you thought about, hey, what about Kings of War? What was your initial assessment of how much work it would be to bring Kings of War you know, into it? Was there certain things you knew you, that you'd have to maybe create from scratch or you just give me a feel for how big of a task this was going to be. So when I first started trying to put this together, I thought it was going to be a very small task because um, with the Age of Sigmar mods, and actually there's someone who, in fact, a few people who have gone around and done some, some sort of early Kings of War mods for this, um, which seems to have involved taking some of the 3D models from, I think, Mark of Chaos, and then basing them up on you know, trays and, and things like that and going, here's a, here's a Kings of War army. Um, so, I mean, those, those looked good, but they didn't really function very well because you had all of these individually based models. And so when you went to rotate units, they'd almost always rotate around a certain model in that unit rather than pivoting around the center point, which is 
pretty pretty big deal. Um, uh, when I first picked Tabletop Simulator up, it had a fairly serious problem in that you could only join about 25 components together um, into, into a single object that would be vaguely stable. And if you did any more than that, if that object touched anything that was 3D, so another unit, a hill, a tree, or something like that, then the whole thing would explode and potentially take the entire table with it. Um, there were some fairly spectacular explosions early on. But then probably about a week after I started tinkering with this, there was a pretty major update to Tabletop Simulator itself where they changed, or, or rather they added additional options for how you can join objects together. Um, and it made things far more stable. Um, so rather than having lots of individual models sort of glued together, it took lots of components and then turned them into a single component. And then the, the physics that governs Tabletop Simulator can handle that much better than the alternative. And so now I've been creating units with you know, upwards of 70 components all stuck together and it's completely fine. You can sort of throw them across the table and you know, chuck them up buildings and rocks and all sorts of stuff and there have been no explosions since. So that was a real game changer. So let's talk a little bit about what you've done so far because I mean obviously you've spent a lot of effort to get this up and running and in fact I would recommend those of you listening head over to the Mantic blog because Carl did do a really nice article about you know how to get into tabletop simulator for Kings of War on the Mantic blog but let's talk about what did you have to create? Um, so I actually had to create very little. It was mostly hunting around and finding bits. Um, so all of the 3D models that I... Oh, so I guess the first thing we should say is um, all of the stuff that I've put together um, to make Kings of War play nicely on Tabletop Simulator is in the mod uh, Kings of War Useful Stuff. And that sort of speaks to how out of control the project got, because initially I was just going to put together a few sort of movement trays and, and maybe a few bits of terrain that would help people play. And it's sort of turned into a fully independent um, platform to play Kings of War with everything you could possibly need. Um, so anyway, all of the 3D models have already been created by various means. As I say, sometimes they look like they've been pulled out of video games and other times they look like they've been made from um, photogrammetry, which is a very labor-intensive process from what I can tell. So, you know, we need to give a huge amount of thanks to all of the various people who are, are doing both of these methods because I haven't got a clue how to do either. Then one of the big things for Kings of War was getting the terrain working. So there are tons of mods for um, you know, like Star Wars Legion and 40K and all this sort of stuff out there. So there's, yeah, there's lots of buildings and trees and rocks and all sorts of things that can be used, but most of them are solid. And so yeah, when you move a tray of infantry over a patch of trees, then you know, it wants to try and put, balance the tray on top of all the trees, which you know, is a complete disaster for us. And so I put together a load of terrain and edited the way that it interacts with other units. And so essentially I've, I've made um, you know, like ghost forests or something like this. Um, 
So the actual volume of space that the tree interacts with is a sort of little slither, a fraction of a millimetre tall at the very bottom of the tree. And so units can basically just move straight through these things. And I've done the same with buildings and walls and crop fields and all that sort of stuff, which, um, yeah, it's not a terribly difficult process. I just had to learn a little bit of 3D editing and how different things work in Tabletop Simulator. Um, so that was that was a pretty significant thing that we needed. Then um, I found, um, yeah, the, the rolling of dice is okay in Tabletop Simulator. So you can either um, just pick them up and literally throw them to roll them, or you can press the R key on the keyboard that just rolls them in place. Um, but it's still a bit of a faff trying to you know, sort through piles of dice. And so I found a, a little um, 40K dice rolling device where you literally just drop all of the dice into a little box and then it instantly rolls and sorts them all so that you've got, you know, if you know you need fours, then you know, everything on the four column or below is, is a success. And so that allows you know, large numbers of dice to be rolled, probably quicker than real life, to be honest, although still not quite as quickly as UD, where you just type in the number that you want and it gives you the results. But yeah, it's close. Um, and then the other thing that um, I went and tracked down was a little map loading tool. And so with this, you can set out a table with all of the terrain, um, package it up into uh, a bag, which is a just a device that Tabletop Simulator uses. It's, it's a type of zipped file that shows up as a bag in-game. And so you take your little table that's been um, turned into a bag, and you can drop it on this map loading tool, and it'll just load the table up. Um, it might take a couple of seconds to load, but it's more or less instantaneous. And the really cool thing with these is because they're zip files, you can actually share them um, within the community just you know, by email or um, you know, over in the Discord channel. Then um, you can just post up little files in there. And so if you anyone's created an interesting table, they can share it with everybody else, which is quite good. And the thing that um, was actually a reasonable bit of effort was getting the movement trays to work properly. So as said in Tabletop Simulator, you, you, you can move things and you can rotate things perfectly normally. But you know, for Kings of War, and particularly when UB already exists, then people yeah, people don't want to compromise on their on the functionality of the game here. So if, if UB can do it, then people kind of want Tabletop Simulator to be able to do it as well. Um, so getting units to move in dead straight lines and rotate properly was the big task. Now, the, the main problem here is just when you push the rotate keys in Tabletop Simulator, it rotates things by a minimum of 15 degrees, which... Often is fine, but there'll be a few times per game, maybe, um, that you'll get into a situation and you're like, you know what, I really want to be seven and a half degrees from my current position here, and yeah, this is a bit of a nightmare. There is a tool in the game that can do it, but it's really fiddly, and you can end up stuffing up the position of the units. So that was, yeah, that was a bit of a problem. And so the the real solution to this was the Song of Ice and Fire community. So they've 
been involved in Tabletop Simulator for some time, and that's another rank-and-flank uh, game where units pivot about their centers and move in dead straight lines. And so some complete computer genius, as far as I can tell, has written a pretty incredible set of scripting that defines everything you could possibly want for how trays move in that game. And uh, so I sort of had a bit of a look at that and went, ah, oh, this, is, this is almost what I want Kings of War units to be able to do, but it's a little bit, it's a bit fiddly. You have to sort of go through a, a cascading menu to get things to do stuff. Um, so you, you click on a unit and it would be like, okay, do you want to move? Do you want to pivot? If you want to pivot, how do you want to pivot? And so I thought, okay, we can, let's see if we can just simplify this. Um, and so then I spent um, on two separate occasions about eight hours messing around with the code in these trays to um, try and simplify them and, and get the units moving just, just nice and simply for Kings of War because the movement is a bit more fluid in Kings than in Ice and Fire. And so being able to switch rapidly between straight line movement and rotation is quite important. And so I've managed to get it to a state where units can, you've essentially got um, two modes for units where you've got a straight line mode so they can move side to side or forward and back, or a rotation mode where when you click into that, it brings up a little slide bar and you literally just slide um, a, like a, a token along this bar to make the unit rotate uh, anywhere between you know, a complete circle in any direction. And that's um, not limited by that 15 degree minimum rotation. And yeah, so once, once that was done, that was what really, I think, enables the game to be played accurately on Tabletop Simulator, as opposed to sort of well, just about functional, but not, not great, which would be what you can do pretty much straight out of the gates, just loading up any, any models and attaching them to trays. So what else do you have planned? Uh, you know, I mean, it sounds like you've done a lot of work. You know, what else are you working on? Um, so at the moment, I'm slowly working through creating uh, demo armies for all of the armies, because when you first come into Tabletop Simulator and have never used it before, then you probably don't know the controls that well. Then it is a little bit daunting to have to assemble an army from you know, lots of individual models from potentially multiple mods that you've got to then track down and find and then actually stick them to movement trays um, correctly because if you stick a tray to a load of models rather than a load of models to a tray, then it gets rid of all the scripting and the unit doesn't move properly anymore. So there's a few things that can trip people up when they, they first come in. And so, yeah, I'm trying to create a fairly wide selection of units for all of the armies so that people can, if they're unsure about the game, um, jump in and just go, okay, I'm just going to use you know, some units from this demo army and then literally just pull them out of the bag and they're ready to play, they're, they're ready made, they're all correctly built and scaled and scripted. Um, and then people can give it a test and basically um, learn the controls whilst gaming rather than trying to assemble a unit and getting really frustrated with it. Yeah, it sounds like it lowers the barrier to entry. 
you know, even UB back in the day, before everybody had created all the armies and stuff, you, you had that problem where, you know, you got to create your army. And anything you guys can do uh, to for the community to uh, package it up, right, into a neat little boom, it drops it in and here's your armies, uh, you'll, you'll get repeat business, right? Because if it's frustrating to somebody, they, they may not come back. And so it's good to have uh, all these tools and, and these armies available. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so I think you, you mentioned before we started recording the um, guys from Direct Misfire. Yeah, they were they were pretty pretty keen on the um, pre-built armies. <laughs> Historically, I, I, I am a guy that likes to play in person. All right, and and I, and that's the way I play. UB just doesn't scratch the itch for me because it doesn't feel like a game. It does it doesn't feel like Kings of War. It feels like. Um, I think I mentioned kind of like paper cutouts, right? And you're moving stuff around. Um, with Tabletop Simulator, I feel, well, I don't know this for sure, but just, you know, installing Tabletop Simulator and looking at some of the mods, if it, it, it looked like Kings of War, right? You've got a table and you've got three-dimensional models and movement trays and, and terrain and stuff. So um, I, I think it's probably closer to cross, you know, it's it's closer to crossing that that gap for me to, to make the connection. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. You mentioned the Direct Misfire guys. Uh, if you didn't listen, they did do an episode on... Uh, it kind of covers both UB and Tabletop Simulator recently. I would recommend you give that a listen because those guys do great work over there. You know, one thing that's interesting, because I know I listen to a lot of podcasts and some of the game systems, like like Legion, for example, uh, is running in some legal snafus where, you know, Fancy Flight or Lucasfilms or whoever is coming down and saying you can't use these models and... I think the nice thing with Kings of War is that um, I'm assuming you're not using any assets from, you know what I mean? Like it, these are just various assets from pulled from the web. And so I, I, legally, I think we're in a little bit better shape than, you know, if, if people are actually copying models for Song of Ice and Fire or, you know, other game systems. Yeah, it's it's pretty mixed. Um, some of the armies I've made um, have literally just come from, I, I mean, I don't really know what the source for them is, but it's from various like Dungeons and Dragons mods. So you have zombies are zombies; they don't need to be you know, Games Workshop Legion from the Gash or whatever the hell the zombies live in these days. Um, other things are probably a bit more questionable. So um, yeah, I have used a load of Age of Sigmar models, but I'm I'm not sure if GW is actually against this. So some of the um, Sigma mods that I've used, they've they've actually said, you know, Games Workshop has provided us with the 3D photos of these models so that we can create this thing. And so, I mean, while they might not be delighted that I'm now using them for Kings of War rather than the Age of Sigma, it's it's still essentially free advertising for them, right? It's like, Absolutely. Because it's it's literally scans of the studio models. Um, and so, yeah, one of the examples is in the rack in. I've used some of the um, the storm fiends to um, represent nightmares, and it is literally the the studio storm fiends with their you know quite wonderful paint job, um, just in three D. And so, yeah, people see that, and, and, yeah, they're playing Kings of War, but they're having Games Workshop models advertised to them. Unfortunately, you know, some companies like GW, I actually do think with the COVID situation, I think they understand. Um, ultimately if these cool models virtually are so cool to get you hooked in the game, you know, it's great advertising, right? You will eventually buy the models. Um, so it, it, it's definitely an interesting space, right? Uh, we have a lot of companies that, um, and it's not just tabletop simulator. There's other board gaming, virtual 
you know, apps. Some companies prefer to go the route where they create it themselves and they sell some kind of paid content. Some just say, do whatever you want. It's 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 one of these spaces where it's kind of like the wild, wild west and it will, you know, it'll develop over the years. Yeah, so actually a bit of a chat to um, Matt from Mantic about this as well. And he was saying there's some scope that we could potentially get um, some of the 3D sculpts probably downgraded in resolution so that people can't 3D print them. Um, but we might be able to get some of the 3D digital stuff from Mantic um, and actually use it in Tabletop Simulator. Now, unfortunately, those would be untextured, kind of just gray, you know, bare plastic in um, air quotes. Um, but, you know, if, if we ended up with someone in the community who can actually do 3D photogrammetry, then we can potentially take those Mantic models and texture them up in-game so they, they look good while still being a kind of uh, melted plastic pseudo form that can't be 3D printed. We talked a little bit about what you've been working on. Is there anything that's still on your plate that I got to get this finished? That that's a you know maybe a quality uh, quality of life improvement, or is there anything that you're really eager to see getting finished? Not at the moment. It's it's really just creation of stuff for use in games. So um, yeah, at the moment I've only got five, I think five, five or six pre-made maps. So I'd like to. Um, build up a load more maps so that people can you know, have more diversity easily available. Um, so I was thinking about copying the um, Epic Dwarf mm -hmm. uh, standard 20 maps or something, but I don't know. When we go into the game, you'll see I, I like to make the table a bit more cohesive rather than just sort of random stuff plonked all over the place. Right. You want to tell a story. You want the, the, the table. I mean... That's how I play in the real world too, right? I I like to play my games on a table that is expressive, that that's telling me, okay, obviously these rat can are escaping from this dungeon and they are, you know, invading this this town. And not just, oh look, here is, um, you know, some of the maps, ha you know, that Epic Dork made. They're very functional in the sense that they they're very playable, but they're almost goofy to the point where you know you got this you know, a pair of forest, and then you've got this large hill and it just doesn't look realistic. Yeah. So I'm in two minds, whether I just go and quickly copy those and, you know, get another 20 maps out there for people to play with, or whether I spend the time trying to create more immersive tables, which is pretty, pretty time consuming. Um, actually, it's pretty variable. Um, when we go into the game, I'll, I'll load up a, a city map that I've made, but it's, it's supposed to be representing a city that's being attacked by a, um, a mighty necromancer and a plague of zombies. So, um, yeah, that took ages to put together. But um, most of them don't take too long. Um, and then the other thing is just fleshing out the armies some more. I can't imagine that's a quite the task, given how many armies we have in Kings of War. Yeah, and... With the because the models all come from different mods, then they're often at different scales, and so you have to sort of tweak the scale on different units to make them all you know, function together. Are you having to like take them into Blender and adjust their size, or I mean, how do you do that? No, there's a scaling tool in Tabletop Simulator, so that's all pretty quick. Um, I do have to uh, create some, I guess, like uh, volumes in Blender for some of the models, so. Um, for example, if you have something with um, big wings, then 
by default, Tabletop Simulator just sort of looks at the model and then creates its volume based on all of the furthest points. And so yeah, things with big wingspans can end up having a huge footprint, even where there's no actual model. So it's like almost making a cube out of it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so yeah, I go into Blender and create smaller cubes that are roughly the size of the base that the thing's going to go on. And then, um, yeah, that stops them interacting with stuff outside of their base area. So all the work you put in, um, we'll put it all in, sh in the show notes, but you've obviously made a package that it's easy to download. You've got the article on uh, the Mantic blog. You know, what's the reception been? It's been really good. Um, so I started up a Discord server and a Facebook group as well for people who want to play this. And um, yeah, this is it's probably only a month old or something now. And we've got, yeah, we've got 200 people in the Facebook group um, you're putting armies together and playing games. We've got the um, the tournament that's in round two at the moment. And, um, yeah, so far everyone that's been playing it has been you know, really, really happy with it. Um, naturally, there's a few little buggy things um, that come with trying to play you know, miniatures games in 3D space. So um, I think probably the worst one is the the movement trays uh, while they're in that straight line movement mode, they don't mind so much when they're rotating, but they really want to be on a flat surface. So if there's, you know, if any of the terrain hasn't been nicely edited, then they sort of jiggle about all over the place and, and don't really want to stay still. You have to manually lock them into position and then quickly move them off when you want to move. Um, so that's a bit annoying, um, but it's literally just a process of creating the battlefield properly so that everything is nice and flat. Right, like building your ghost trees. Yeah, exactly like that. But even even the ghost trees, like the, the base that they're all stuck to, has a couple of mils depth, and so you need to actually sink that into the table so that it's like a fraction of a millimetre above the playing surface, um, which, yeah, it takes, it takes literally, you know, 10 seconds to do all the forests on a table once you know that that's a problem. But before you know that that's a problem and then you move a unit onto a forest and it jiggles all over the place, that's really annoying. Yeah. Well, I assume it's like anything in life. You know, as you do, you get more experience, it gets easier and you learn more things and it develops and it evolves and improves. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I say it's people literally, yeah, they, they come in and if they're able to play straight away then even if there's a few little um i guess a few little extra tricks to learn then that's that's not too bad is there any other games uh you you know other game systems that you want to be involved if uh, move on to tabletop simulator is there anything else besides kings of war that you're looking to uh do on tabletop um so i'm also part of a battlefleet gothic group um because i used to play that back in the day and mm -hmm. really liked it it's probably my favorite um, space combat game. That's a great game. Yeah. Great though. I, I used to play it too. It was a lot of fun. I've played it uh, ever since it first came out in White Dwarf, and um, obviously it's it's pretty dead. Um, I think there's a couple of other people who play in Perth, but yeah, there's there's certainly no regular gaming going on. And so yeah, being able to play online because there's a, there's actually a pretty big Battlefleet Gothic community online um, from all over the place. And so, yeah, being able to play against them is pretty good. Uh, that's mostly 
just using um, like uh, semi 3D almost representations of the ships rather than full 3D. Um, but I did manage to put a 3D tau fleet together, but it's untextured, so it's it's an unpainted tau fleet. For now. <laughs> For now. For now. Yeah, I, I have no idea how to go through that process, though, so I don't know when or if that will get sorted. But um, that's something that um, I'm working on very much in the background is putting together other fleets as well. I did notice that somebody has at least taken a stab of at uh, Kings of War Vanguard on Tabletop Simulator. So that's something that down the road I would uh, definitely enjoy uh, tackling, you know, jumping into. And, you know, who knows if we can get somebody to do Dead Zone, that would be great as well. Because um, uh, I imagine skirmish games, uh, I guess it's a catch-22. On one, on one side, on one half of it, the table's smaller and you have less models, but... I think the terrain interaction with the models may be even maybe more difficult with a game like, you know, Dead Zone where you're climbing and you're actually different levels and through tunnels and stuff like that. So I don't know. The the, the sky's the limit. It's actually really not too bad. Um, so I play Infinity on this as well, which is um, kind of like Dead Zone, but I think with even more terrain. Yeah. Um, and more rules. Don't forget that. <laughs> oh, yeah. A, a hell of a lot more rules. <laughs> but I... I generally don't really go for skirmish-type games, but I, I do really enjoy Infinity. Um, and the the way that you build the terrain becomes quite important, um, but it, it's doable. So you, you can sort of give... You can give anything multiple states, um, and so you literally just change what the, the state of an object is by pushing a number key. And so, yeah, for all the Infinity buildings, the, the states are just for each level... So yeah, state one is um, like ground floor. State two is second story. State three would be the roof. Yeah, for example, and then you can you know, move your models around within those states um, as you toggle them on and off. Before we dive in and check it out, is there anything? Uh, any last words before we dive in? I guess well, not really, but um, I guess I, I should plug the Facebook group and the Discord server. Absolutely, and we'll put links to the show notes. Okay, yeah, well, the, the Facebook group is Kings of War Tabletop Simulator, and then the Discord server's got a link in there. Well, what we're going to do right now, folks, is we're going to cut away, and we're going to go check out Tabletop Simulator, and Carl's going to wow me uh, and, and show me why I have been missing out. Uh, and then we'll come back, and uh, we'll kind of I'll share my thoughts, and we'll, we'll continue this chat. Thanks for taking the time to kind of walk me through all the pieces. Uh, you've put a lot of work in. You, you may you may kind of, um, it's almost, I don't know if it's an Australian thing, but you kind of just shrug it off like, ah, well, you know, uh, I, I borrowed a front. Some, you had to go out and find all these pieces, right? And in some cases, change the volume uh, of, the, of the terrain or the models. And so the community owes you a, 
pretty big debt of gratitude to take the time to get us running because um, this is this is not like Universal Battle in the sense that it's 2D and you just need some paper cutouts. This is you need models and stuff. Uh, so going out and finding the scripts and everything is, um, you know, I, I can't imagine it was a, a small undertaking. No, I mean, yeah, th- thanks for that. Um, it, it has taken a fair few hours to, to pull all this together, but I don't know how many hours it takes to create these 3D models in the first place, and you know, I'd be absolutely nowhere without them. So I think you know, a huge amount of thanks has to go to the people that create these things as well. Yeah, that's a call-out. I wonder, you know, I imagine we must have the talent in our community – because, you know, we had some 3D printing episodes where folks were talking about creating models from scratch. I got to imagine there's somebody or or multiple folks in our community that would be able to help with this, like to be able to build 3D models that can be then imported. Um, so, you know, obviously, if you're interested in that kind of thing, I, you know, obviously suggest to go over to the Facebook page uh, for Tabletop Simulator, and we will link that in the show notes. Because if the community wants to support it, then, then they just need a... Everybody can contribute in whatever way they can, and and, and if you're like me, technologically tra- you know challenged, um, you just have Carl hold your hand through the whole game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've done I've done these uh, little demos for a few people now, and um, it seems to be a really good way to jumpstart people. Even though you may have certain keystrokes and you may have different tools and stuff, it's all like real life, right? So like some of the tools in Universal Battle, they make sense. But you're dropping like concentric circles down, and those aren't available in in real life. And and this is like I have a ruler that logically I can understand that right. That I I just like the way that it it it, it um, I mean I realize it's virtual, but it does replicate moving models on a 3D table in real space, right? I mean it it does. And you can't do this on Universal Battle. You can't zoom in to eye level and it's like you it is like you're playing uh, you know, Warhammer Total War. And these models are great. Like these uh tyrants, oh my gosh, they're they're fantastic. Yeah, yeah, these I think these ones must have come from Total War because I don't think they've been available on any other platform digitally and they're definitely not um photogrammetry models. So when you say that, like they just have like basic tech, like basic coloring, or what? Um, I'll see if I can pull some of the photogrammetry ones in. Because um, I mean, I think they look pretty good. Oh yeah, these these look absolutely amazing. The um, the photographed ones, I think. Uh, so is that like they have you have photographs from multiple angles, and you're basically building a model using photographs? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Here's the unit of nightmares. So those are done from photogrammetry. So that that's a that's the painted model, is that right? Yeah. So those are literally the Games Workshop Studio painted storm fiends that have been photographed in three D, and then put together somehow in a magical process that I don't understand. That's amazing. They look great. Here's a question for you: How many more arm? You know, how many armies are built today, ready to go, and how many more do you got to go? Well, I should have that written down, shouldn't I? Um, 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 um. um. So I definitely need uh, – so I haven't actually finished any of the armies. So I've, I've put up a, a decent selection of units for the ones that I have done, um, but nothing is completely finished yet because essentially these are just armies that I've wanted to use and I've thought, well, I've made these, so I may as well put them up for everybody. 
Um, but I definitely need undead, orcs, goblins, nature, trident realms, and there's probably a few more as well. Um, I haven't really addressed any of the theme lists, but right. you can kind of build those out of the master lists. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, if you have dwarves or dwarves, right? It's, you know, yeah, yeah. A lot, a lot of. I'm still just, you know, oogling over these these models because it's like they look like the painted model. Because I guess they are. <laughs> you can see with the lizards that I've um, spent a fair bit of time like basing them as well. So they've got you know ferns and vegetation and rocks and logs and stuff on the movement. So are you having to? So you're obviously taking the models and drop and attaching to the base, and then going in with the different textures and. and... Yep. Yep. Yeah, wow. But and it took, took me probably about three hours to put the lizard men together. Um, so it was it was a bit of effort, but yeah, it's it's three hours and. Now this lizard, this virtual lizard army looks way better than my real life one. And it's kind of a little bit depressing. Is there anything that people could do? Like, is there anything that you, you mentioned a little bit of the uh, photo, what's it called? Photo. I think it's photogrammetry. Yeah. Is there anything that like, any talents out there that people, if people had, you could leverage? I mean, that, that being one of them, is there any other uh, talents you're looking for out in the community? Or people, you know, things that you would find useful to, you know, maybe finishing the armies? Yeah, so there's there's a few things that um, would be really helpful. One is the, yeah, if anyone can do photogrammetry, that would be great. The other one is, I think it's UV mapping, and that's where you take the, the digital textures. So, for example, these, yeah, these lizard men here, um, and then you, you overlay those textures on a fairly simple 3D model. Um, again, I've got no idea how to do that, but I think it's fairly common within the sort of computer game modding community. So yeah, hopefully people know how to do that. Um, and yeah, that, that would be a big one because that would allow us, in fact, either of these would allow us to actually use the Mantic models in this. And it would be really nice to actually promote you know, Mantic's products as well as basically just Games Workshop at the moment. Yeah, and... Who knows? Maybe Conquest can use the models too. Yeah, yeah, probably. Oh, yeah. So the other thing would be creating more battlefields. So you know, if anyone's got some cool, cool battlefields that they could you know, make and distribute as those little map bags I was talking about, that'd be great because then you know, everybody can play with them. And yeah, just taking um, the models that are already here and finishing off the armies. So as you look back on this process. What's something you wish you knew when you started, when you did very first time you dove into Tabletop Simulator that you wished you knew then that you know now? So I, I wish I'd just bitten the bullet and learned a bit of Blender from the very get-go because so one of the problems with the movement trays is I've essentially just taken a single square and restretched it to the appropriate size for all of the units. And it's... It's kind of hard to get that absolutely precise. And so some of the unit trays are a millimeter or so off. So if you compare a the depth of a horde of large infantry to the depth of a horde of infantry, you'll see there's about a millimeter's difference there, which I'm sure some people will find totally unacceptable. So I kind of wish I'd just learned Blender in the first place because you can set all of the sizes for objects in that. And then I could have just created all the movement trays in there 
and had had them all you know absolutely millimeter perfect um, rather than going through this process because I was kind of just kidding myself that I was going to get away with not learning any blender at all there's a lot of 3d printing out there are those models those STL files for like for example a unit base are those usable can is there a way to get those into the game yeah absolutely so I, I mentioned earlier I've made a tau fleet for Battlefleet Gothic and that was built entirely from the STL files from Thingsverse. That's awesome. Well, I don't know what else I should ask you. What 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 didn't I ask you, Carl? What's what what are some things that you think everybody should know about Tabletop Simulator? I guess the the thing to really highlight with it is, yeah, regardless of whether you think Kings of War on it is is great or whether Universal Battle is the way to go then your tabletop simulator's got a vast number of other war games on it. So, I mean, literally every every game I play is on here, um, and then a whole lot more as well. <laughs> and so, yeah, when, once you buy you know, your tabletop simulator for, yeah, I think it's $20 US, um, mm-hmm. then you're not just getting Kings of War for that, you're getting almost everything and forever. Yeah, there's there's no ongoing subscriptions or anything like that. What is Universal Battle? Do you have to pay a f- membership fee or how, how does that work? So it's it's free for the the base game, but you're not able to save your armies or I don't think you can use any of the pre-made armies either. So if you're using the free version, you've got to build your army from scratch each time. Um, and then it's I think it's a subscription for um, I think it's less than five dollars a month if you sign up for a year. Yeah, but that's still sixty bucks, right, for a year. So great value here, tabletop simulator, twenty bucks. Yeah, both both are still great because it's you know, it's allowing you so many more games and so many more opponents. It's good value for money, but um, yeah, you can do you can do an awful lot of stuff with tabletop simulator. And I don't think one trumps the other. I think I think they can both coexist, right? And, and I think there's going to be, you know, you might talk to your friend and he's a person who likes playing tabletop. Well, then you play in tabletop. And then if you have a different friend, um, he likes playing Universal Battle. Well, then you play Universal Battle. That's fine. Or better yet, you want to play me? We, we play in real life. As long as people are playing Kings of War, we really don't, you know, I don't think anybody should really care how we play. I mean, it's, it's, it's all about having games, having fun, promoting the community and just, you know, growing the Kings of War hobby. Absolutely. Thanks very much, Carl. This has been very enlightening, and uh, we may I may be back in touch in the very near future and have you walk me through like an actual full game, uh, maybe with somebody else, and we can you can kind of referee us a little bit and, and walk us through because this is this is not what I expected. I, you know, this is a full fledged three D gaming experience with a lot of the bells and whistles that you have in the real world, and and so you know if you know how to use a tape rule tape measure in the real world or a ruler, well, it's the same skill set needed for tabletop simulators so it's uh i think the future is very bright and, and i imagine you're planning to run you know you're as we said in the opening of the show you have a current tournament going on with a bunch of australians is that going to become a recurring thing for you guys i can't see why not if you know if people if people fancy playing tournaments then um you know, i'm certainly happy to run them actually speaking speaking of which uh, we have an odd number of players and have just entered round two so yeah, if you wanted to jump in yeah, mid-tournament I'm sure no one would have any problems with that <laughs> yeah I appreciate the tour and in and, and all seriousness I probably will um, I'm gonna talk to Jeremy and maybe we can get like get him hooked up with it as well because he's he's more of a UB guy and I would love to get his take on it because you know he's not tried this 
we've kind of lamented behind the scenes that yeah, UB's great, but like, like don't represent the real world. Like you really can't be you know ten feet above the table. With this, like you can simulate actually yeah. standing at a table, and you really can only see what you can see. And and I kind of like that. That's pretty pretty neat. So it was one of the things that you mentioned actually on Direct Misfire was he was saying actually it might have been Ben rather than you. Anyway, one of them was saying on UB the absolute pure top down has sort of really thrown their perspective off, and they just sort of miss things and can't judge distances, and they're finding the kind of 60 degree angle from behind that we get on this much easier to to just just play because it's more more like real life well carl i appreciate the time and until next time keep counter charging thanks for listening and we'll see you next time on counter charge please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com on twitter at countercharge15 or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.